Hey y'all, it's Rima. Imagine your whole life taking the shape of one huge coincidence. That's the story we're going to tell today. I'm handing the show off to our producer, Camila Kerwin, who's based in Colombia. She's been talking to someone there whose career has brought her success, a bit of fame, and a direct tie to the worst thing that's ever happened to her. Here's Camila with the story. I'm in Medellin, Colombia, standing outside next to a big mural of a snake, some bears, and a possum hanging from a tree. I'm waiting for someone named Gina Serna on what is probably the most unusual reporting trip I'll ever take. Behind me is the entrance to the city zoo. Hello. Muy bien, tú cómo estás? Gina's a wildlife veterinarian. She's tall and lanky with long dark hair and a tattoo of a jaguar that covers half her arm. She gives off a bit of a hippie vibe. Hola, buenos días. Gina and I follow some yellow bear tracks painted on the ground. Every time she sees an animal she likes, she stops and speaks directly to it. <gasps> Hola. You're so cute. So it takes us a while to make it to the animal we're actually here to see. The one that's become the center of Gina's life. The hippos. Eventually, we find them. They're laying out uh, outside the water, just taking the sun and relaxing and being happy because they have no problems in life. The hippos don't move much. When you look at them, you might think, oh, they're cute. They're big and chubby. They look like overgrown manatees with legs. But really, hippos are one of the most dangerous animals in the world. They can weigh over 9,000 pounds, can run up to 30 miles per hour. In Africa, where they're native, they kill more humans per year than any other land mammal. And here, in Colombia, the country has a bit of a hippo problem. Right now, there are roughly 120 hippos roaming the Magdalena River. Invasive hippos. Hippos that were never supposed to be here at all. And that's where Gina comes in. It's her job to figure out the best way to sterilize these hippos. So for me, hippos also are, um, I don't know how to say it, but they have given me a little bit of fame, you could say like that, because I'm the lady of the hippos. You're the hippo lady. Yeah, something like that. (laughs) But Gina never really set out to become the hippo lady. How she got there and how the hippos arrived in Colombia in the first place is a bizarre story about a life come full circle. Gina's career has taken off in the last five years. The thing is, her path to this, it really started in the aftermath of a childhood trauma. It's something that has determined the course of her life's work in some deeply unexpected ways. The story of Gina's career is really a story about how your past can come back to hurt you, help you, or maybe a bit of both. Gina always loved animals, and there was this special place where she could tap into that love. It was a place she would always go to with her dad, her favorite place in the world. It was called Hacienda Napoles. Hacienda Napoles was many complicated things, but in Gina's childhood eyes, it was exactly one thing. A zoo. Not the same zoo from before. This wasn't just any zoo. It was full of animals Gina had never seen before. I remember the camels, the giraffe, and all the horses. 
the elephants, the zebras, and the four enormous hippos, too. Gina knew they had arrived at Napolis when they passed under a white and blue arch at the entrance, topped with a small, single-engine airplane. This was the place she felt closest to her dad. She respected him, looked up to him. She describes him as this tall, no-nonsense kind of guy with a black mustache and woody cologne. For me, dad was family. In that point, I was like my dad. Because mom's always saying, Mom, can I? You have to ask your dad. You have to ask your dad. So for me, daddy was like everything. He owned a cattle ranch near Napolis. And even though his views on animals were more pragmatic than anything else, a means to get work done and make a living, whenever Gina asked him to go to the zoo, he always said yes. My mom said, again, ah, yes, again, let's go. But there was something about the zoo Gina didn't know. She didn't know that these exotic animals, they had been smuggled, brought into the country by Colombia's most notorious drug lord, Pablo Escobar. Escobar built Napolis as his massive estate when he was at the height of his career as a cocaine trafficker. It was his playground, his manor, complete with a private bullring, luxury cars, and huge statues of dinosaurs. That airplane Gina passed under each time her dad drove her into the zoo, it was actually a sort of trophy, allegedly the same plane Escobar had used for his very first big drug deal to the U.S. The exotic animals? He imported them illegally because, well, he could. He had the money and the influence to indulge his whims. Did you even know the name Pablo Escobar when you first started no. going to Hacienda Napoles? No, never in the life. No, mm -hmm. no way. It was a zoo for you? Yeah, it was a zoo. Gina was unaware of anything happening beyond the daily patterns of her life. Going with her dad to the ranch, playing with her cousins and younger siblings. She would tend to injured dogs and cats and dreamed of becoming a veterinarian one day. But in the background, as the years passed, things in Colombia were getting really scary. Especially in Medellin, the second largest city in the country near where Gina grew up. In the 80s and 90s, the drug cartel there was in full swing bringing in billions of dollars a year, and assassinating anybody who got in their way. They were, like, putting bombs and shooting all around the city. It was really, really stressful time here. But me as a child, I didn't, like, see it that way. I only see that, like, I cannot go to my friend's house. Everybody was scared to go out. And it's around this time, when Gina's in middle school, that she starts to actually pick up on Pablo Escobar's name. Pablo Escobar, one of the richest men in the world. Pablo Escobar was flown by government helicopters. Escobar, a ruthless killer, escaped from the... Pablo Escobar, Pablo Escobar has outfoxed them. And that was the moment I say, what is happening? Gina asked her mom, who is Pablo Escobar? And her mom was like, the guy from the zoo. It's the one who the, all the policemen are chasing. And I was asking, Mom, Mom, why? He told me he's a bad guy. Everybody's chasing him. And he's the one who put in the bombs all around Medellin. Gina's mom was scared. So scared, she hardly ever let Gina leave the house. For a teenager, it was incredibly isolating. So it was exciting when, in February of 1991, Gina's parents told her she could do something she hadn't been allowed to do in a while. Sleep over at a friend's house while her parents went to Medellin to see a bullfight. That Friday, she went home with her friend after school, and for a moment, things seemed normal again. They goofed around, ate snacks, all the staples of a good sleepover. 
Then, the next day, they went to go turn on the TV. But suddenly, the friend's mom was like, no, no, no. No, 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 let's go to do another thing. Let's paint and let's play. La mamá nos estaba distrayendo, como muy pendiente de nosotras. Gina is saying that she sensed the mom was distracting them so that they wouldn't turn on the TV. Normally, she left the kids alone. Gina's mom finally got there early that evening, but her dad wasn't in the car. She was in white, I remember, all white. And like we were in the car and said, where is that? And she told me, um, they didn't tell you? So no. The ride home was mostly silent. Gina noticed small scratches on her mom's face. And then when I got home, it was a lot of people in my house. And then, why it's a lot of people in my house? She kept asking what was going on. She was in the entrance of the house, squished between a bunch of people, when she felt someone pull her aside. It was the sister of my grandpa. She told me that my dad is dead. And then I ran to my dad's room and I said, Mom, where is dad? And then my aunt was there. She was there and she said, oh, poor thing. She's in shock. I didn't understand what, what is happening. A lot of people knew before me. Yeah, I was like the last one to know. Gina was just 14 years old. She doesn't remember much from that day. Someone gave her a pill to calm her nerves. Her little brother was crying a lot. Her mom didn't show much emotion, focused on the funeral. Later, Gina would find out what happened. Her mom and dad were leaving the bullfighting arena. They sat down at an outdoor restaurant for a drink. And then a car bomb exploded nearby. My mom said the bomb was in front of there. And then he like, bolo. He flew back, falling on top of Gina's mom. And then they fall out like, the impulse, yeah. So my dad received all the bomb, like, by himself. It was one of Escobar's bombs. The target was a group of national police. At least 22 people died in the explosion that day, including nine officers and Gina's dad. The first, like, two days, I was really confused. My brother, he was really, really sad. He was crying a lot. I, I didn't cry so much. I got back to school some two weeks, and then all my friends uh, were, like, telling me that they feel sorry. And I remember I didn't want to speak with anybody. Gina struggled to process his death. She'd have these recurring dreams that she'd bump into him on the street. She missed the little things, his daily cup of orange juice, the way he'd do push-ups every morning, their trips to the zoo. I feel like strange than the past of the days when everything starts to change. That's when I realize, oh, my dad is dead. He's not in the farm. He's not on a business trip. He's dead. He's not coming back. He had been the sole breadwinner for his wife and kids. Gina's mom suddenly found herself alone with four kids and no work experience. They'd never been a wealthy family, but they'd always had what they needed— Food, clothes, a big house. Now, as her mom scrambled to get a degree, they were on a very tight budget. Going to vacations? No way. That was too expensive for her. And buying clothes? No way. My grandpa was the one who helped us with clothes and stuff like that. Mm. 
And normally say, ah, can I go with my friends to the um, mall? No, I don't have money. They had to sell the cattle ranch, move into a much smaller house. Gina says her mom put on a strong front, getting to work and making sure her kids had what they needed. But she was like really sad, suffering a lot. I think she was always also in like in shock, like what I'm going to do, what I'm going to do. Sometimes uh, in the nights I heard her um, crying Mm. a little bit. For the first time in her life, Gina started to drift away from her love of animals and her dream of becoming a vet. She was imagining a different future. Maybe she'd be a writer, something quiet and introspective. I think the animals remember a lot of my dad, and I didn't want that memory coming back. So I tried to avoid about that, but then... The animals reminded you of your father? Yeah, of course, yeah. Yeah, of course. I think I didn't want to get that memory because I don't know if I was in the night, but as I say you, I was like dreaming he was alive, he was not dead. So um, maybe I was trying to not remember him. Two years after Gina's dad was murdered, Pablo Escobar was killed. National police officers gunned him down in a rooftop shootout. Gina was 16 years old when Escobar died. When he died, was there any sense of justice for you? No, I don't remember when he died. It was not important in my life. That's interesting. I think a lot of people might assume that there would be a sense of, like, the man who is responsible for my father's death is gone. No, I... I think I was not thinking about that in that moment. For me, it was not important Pablo Escobar. It wasn't important to her, but it seemed like it was for everyone else. His death made international headlines, front page of the New York Times. Bill Clinton issued a congratulatory statement to the Colombian president, Cesar Gaviria. But for Gina, all this attention Escobar was getting just seemed to perpetuate this ugly stereotype about Colombia. I don't know why the people love Pablo Escobar history. Some guy who make money with drugs and the drugs come with a lot of pain of a lot of people and a lot of families. Medellin is a lot more than a crazy guy who was a drug dealer in the 80s and got a lot of money and got a zoo. We have singers and dancers and movie stars. We have a lot. Medellin is so pretty. So we don't want that we are related more with narcotraffic. This isn't the first time I've heard this sentiment. My mom's side of the family is Colombian. And there's this fatigue I've heard all my life about the global fascination with Escobar. Most Colombians I know hate that the only thing people seem to know about Colombia is that it's the cocaine place where that drug trafficker got so rich. People tend not to know that it's also one of the top exporters of flowers in the world, or that it has more species of birds than any other country, or that it consistently ranks as one of the world's happiest places. So it's easy for me to believe Gina when she says she wasn't paying much attention to anything else having to do with Escobar after her dad was killed. She just wanted to move on, to not think about this man ever again. But before long, her life would begin its curve right back towards the man she detested. 
Talking to your backseat babies about money can be so hard. In fact, you probably don't even know where to start. So that's where the newest version of the Million Bazillion Academy steps in, our email newsletter course. You can start whenever, and you'll get a new lesson each week that you and your kids can complete at your own pace. They'll learn about crypto, the stock market, and so much more. And best of all, it's free. Million Bazillion Academy, making kids smarter about money. Sign up today at marketplace.org slash academy. Gina and her family never went back to that zoo, Hacienda Napolis, after her dad died. And for a while, it felt like her life had just gone off balance. She missed her father and worried about her mom's money troubles. She got into college and tried to study philosophy, but... It was a torture going to class. And all the people feeling that, oh, they know everything and philosophy. And I was sitting there, no! Really? They're really cocky? You can say, ah. About halfway through her degree, she dropped out. She quit her waitressing job, and for about six months, she hid from the world in this little cabin on the Pacific coast. I remember waking up every morning and seeing, like, the sea and breathing salty air, thinking about, like, I don't know, life and what I'm doing here. She would take these walks in the forest, spotting monkeys and birds. And one day, she was on the trail when a snake crossed her path. I stop, and then she cross. And in that moment, I say, snakes are not dangerous. You only have to respect them the, the way they are going. So it was like a warm feeling, like that's my place. Hmm. I was feeling the same things that I feel when I was little going to a zoo. All of her friends had been telling her for years, go to vet school, go to vet school. So finally, in the midst of this quarter-life crisis trip to the middle of nowhere, Gina gave in to her original dream. I said to myself, Gina, you're not going back to the philosophy school. That's not for you. You have to be surrendered by animals. That's what you like. That's how you vibrate. Um... Let's do this. Let's try to do this. (laughs) The next few months were a blur. She signed up for her vet school entrance exam and ended up getting the second best score out of everyone. I was so proud. My dream is coming true. But financially, it was a gamble. There weren't many wildlife vets in Colombia at the time, and the job didn't pay that well. Plus, she had to go back to school and pay for it on her own. But Gina didn't care. She headed to Bogota and moved in with some friends. She remembers walking into one of her core classes that first semester. It was like on Friday at 6 p.m. Then I got and said, today we're going to speak about um, Jaguars in Latin America. And I saw that and I said, wow, can we work with that? Yes, we can work with that, with snakes. I can work with that being a vet? After feeling like her life had gone off course, she was working towards her childhood dream. It seemed as though everything was moving forward. And for a while, it stayed that way. Gina got closer to her ambition and further from the memories she wanted to forget. But then, Gina's past paid an unexpected visit. She was sitting in an animal ethics seminar when the professor started talking about an animal that Gina hadn't thought about since she was a little kid. 
the hippos from Hacienda Napoles. And I thought, why? We have a lot of native animals. Why are we discussing about these hippos that are not from us? The professor was bringing it up because of what had happened to the hippos at Napolis. After Escobar was killed, all his animals were relocated to zoos around the country. All the animals, that is, except for the four hippos. The wildlife vets had never dealt with anything like this before. They didn't know how to manage animal bigger than a cow. The hippos each weighed several tons, and they spent a lot of their time submerged in lakes and rivers. How we're going to catch them, they're really aggressive, they're really dangerous. Nobody in Colombia knew what to do with the hippos. They were not native to Colombia. If it weren't for Escobar, they would never have been there at all. No one had experienced capturing or transporting animals this big. It was a pickle. So they figured that the best decision was no decision. They just left the hippos there, expecting, hoping, that they would die off in a few years. But that's not what happened. Napoles disintegrated into an overgrown ruin, and the fencing enclosing the hippos eventually broke. They stepped right out into freedom, and they multiplied fast. They started to wreak havoc on the local ecosystem. They trampled native vegetation. They pooped so much in the water that the oxygenation levels went down, driving away fish and manatees. But people all around the world were fascinated. In Doradal, the town near Hacienda Napoles, an entire economy sprung up around hippo tourism. There were quirky news reports and these kind of sensational documentaries. Alien hippos are invading Colombia. How they got here is a crime story. Where they're going is a mystery. This isn't Africa. This is Colombia. And Colombia has a hippo problem. Then, in 2009, the same year Gina graduated from vet school, the government started to consider culling the hippos. They contracted a big-game hunter to kill a hippo called Pepe. And when people found out, they were outraged. Animal activists protested in the street, literally chanting justice and reparations for Pepe's family. They sued the government and won. A judge decided that it was illegal to kill Colombia's hippos. So as the years passed, the number of hippos went from 20 to 40 to 60 to 80. All this time, Gina had only been half paying attention. Anything having to do with Escobar wasn't something she wanted to dwell on. And then, in 2017, she accepted a dream job, managing the conservation of Colombia's native mountain lions and jaguars, her favorite animals. Then we start to do all the paperwork. That was a month doing all the paperwork for working with the government. She signed her name on the forms, even turned down other offers that were coming in. It all felt a little too good to be true. New job, better salary, big cats. But then, in her first week, her boss says to her, Let's go this day to Doradal. We have to go there to see the hippos. Doradal, the hippo tourist town next to Hacienda Napoles. Gina wasn't sure why he was bringing her here. Her new contract didn't say anything about invasive species. They got out of the car and started walking. He was pointing out deep hippo tracks in the mud. They made their way to a lake where a big group of the hippos were gathered. Then he turned to her and said, Here's the thing. We need your help with the hippos. Blah, 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 blah. And you're going to work with hippos. 
Why? This was, in the most literal sense, not what Gina had signed up for. He told me, can you operate a hippo? Say, I don't know how to do that, but you can do a surgery in a normal animal. Yes, I'm a vet. So you have done surgery? Yeah, an animal. Well, a hippo is an animal. Let's do it. And in that moment, I say, fuck what I'm going to do. The Colombian government had been backed into a corner. It couldn't kill the hippos, but it also couldn't just let them take over. One study estimated that by 2050, there could be up to 5,000 hippos roaming Colombia if nothing was done about it. So the government decides to sterilize them, all 120 of them. These giant animals that a few decades ago, everyone thought were too big and dangerous to even attempt to corral, much less operate on. Gina's new boss wanted her to perform these operations. And that was not going to be easy. Everything with hippos, it's difficult. They're big, they're aggressive, they're like big dinosaurs. A single sterilization can cost up to $50,000. The hippos are so heavy that if they dash into the water after being shot with the anesthesia dart, they can risk drowning. And their reproductive organs are internal, so it's hard to tell the males and the females apart. Everything could get wrong in a hippo surgery. You already know how this story ends. Gina said, okay, okay, I'll do it. And in a weird twist of fate, the hippos have become much more than just her day job. Gina has become Columbia's hippo lady. She's performed multiple of these stressful, long surgeries. And just last month, she used a new chemical castration method on about 34 hippos. That's cheaper and less invasive, but only lasts a few years. To date, she's helped sterilize about a quarter of Colombia's hippo population. She constantly gets media requests. Even during our interview, she was interrupted about four times. Sorry. No, go ahead, go ahead. Let me answer Sure, sure, go ahead. It's this weird kind of fame. She spends about half her time interacting with, studying, monitoring, and sterilizing the animals that were smuggled into the country by her father's killer. And despite her best efforts to forget about Escobar, Everyone, including now me, constantly asks her about him. Hippos for me are not Pablo's legacy. For me, hippos are an invasive species that I have to work with them and to try to do the best so they can stop doing our um, ecological disaster. But for me, it doesn't, I don't put my heart in it like personal heart, if you know what I mean. It's my work. It's complicated. On the one hand, Gina resists entertaining any Escobar narrative at all related to the hippos, almost as a matter of principle. Why give this guy any more attention than he's already gotten? But really, nothing has catapulted her career more than Escobar's hippos. So I never, I never, like, wanted to work with hippos, like, no. All my dream was to work with wildlife animals, but not especially with hippos. That came with life. How often do you think of your dad when you're working? Mm, all the time, yeah. 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 But it's difficult not to because all the area remains my dad, so every, I'm always thinking of him, yeah. Mm -hmm. Hacienda Napoles remember me of my dad, always. Every time I go to work there, with the hippos, I, my dad, it's in my memory when I start to cross Hacienda Napoli. 
every time. And this, it feels like a sort of cosmic coincidence. Our lives never unfold how we expect them to. In Gina's case, a man who she hates, who she refuses to give any more power to, has had so much unintended influence in her life, both as a child and as an adult. And now, even though she makes a living cleaning up Escobar's mess, her job also allows her to chip away at his legacy while creating a new one, a legacy of her own. That was our producer, Camila Kerwin. And that is all for our episode this week. As always, you can reach out to me and the team with any thoughts or story ideas or anything else on your mind at uncomfortable at marketplace.org. And if you want more This Is Uncomfortable content, be sure to sign up for our weekly newsletter. You can do that by going to marketplace.org comfort. Our team is me, Rima Reis, Donna Tam, Megan Dietry, Haley Hirschman, Camila Kerwin, Phoebe Unterman, and Marielle Seguera. This episode was edited by Megan Dietry and Karen Duffin. Serena Chow is our intern. Tony Wagner is our digital producer. Sound design and audio engineering by Drew Jostad. And our theme music is by Wonderly. This is Uncomfortable is funded in part by the Cy Sims Foundation, which supports advances in education, scientific research, and the arts. All right, I'll catch y'all next week. Talking to your backseat babies about money can be so hard. In fact, you probably don't even know where to start. So that's where the newest version of the Million Bazillion Academy steps in, our email newsletter course. You can start whenever, and you'll get a new lesson each week that you and your kids can complete at your own pace. They'll learn about crypto, the stock market, and so much more. And best of all, it's free. Million Bazillion Academy, making kids smarter about money. Sign up today at marketplace.org academy.